0: Martin Chuzzlewit, Chapter Forty Six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Phillipon. Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens, Chapter Forty Six, in which Miss Pecksniff makes love, Mister Jonas makes wrath, Missus Gamp makes tea, and Mister Chuffey makes business. On the next day's official duties coming to a close. Tom hurried back without losing any time by the way, and after dinner and a short rest sallied out again, accompanied by Ruth, to pay his projected visit to Todger's. Tom took Ruth with him, not only because it was a great pleasure to him to have her for his companion wherever he could, but because he wished her to cherish and comfort poor Mary, which she, for her own part, having heard the wretched history of that young wife from Tom, was all eagerness to do. She was so glad to see me, said Tom, that I am sure she will be glad to see you. Your sympathy is certain to be much more delicate and acceptable than mine. I am very far from being certain of that, Tom, she replied, and indeed you do yourself an injustice, indeed you do, but I hope she may like me, Tom. Oh, she is sure to do that, cried Tom confidently. "'With a number of friends I should have if everybody was of your way of thinking, shouldn't I, Tom, dear?' said his little sister, pinching him upon the cheek tom laughed and said that with reference to this particular case he had no doubt at all of finding a disciple in mary for you women said tom you women my dear are so kind and in your kindness have such nice perception you know so well how to be affectionate and full of solicitude without appearing to be "'Your gentleness of feeling is like your touch so light and easy "'that the one enables you to deal with wounds of the mind "'as tenderly as the other enables you to deal with wounds of the body. "'You are such—' "'My goodness, Tom,' his sister interposed, "'you ought to fall in love immediately.' "'Tom put this observation off good-humorously, "'but somewhat gravely, too, "'and they were soon very chatty again on some other subject.' as they were passing through a street in the city not very far from mrs todgers's place of residence ruth checked tom before the window of a large upholstery and furniture warehouse to call his attention to something very magnificent and ingenious displayed there to the best advantage for the admiration and temptation of the public Tom had hazarded some most erroneous and extravagantly wrong guess in relation to the price of this article, and had joined his sister in laughing heartily at his mistake when he pressed her arm in his and pointed to two persons at a little distance who were looking in at the same window with a deep interest in the chests of drawers and tables. "'Hush!' Tom whispered. "'Miss Pecksniff, and the young gentleman to whom she is going to be married!' "'Why does she look as if he was going to be buried, Tom?' inquired his little sister. "'Why, he is naturally a dismal young gentleman, I believe,' said Tom. "'But he is very civil and inoffensive.' "'I suppose they are furnishing their house,' whispered Ruth. "'Yes, I suppose they are,' replied Tom. "'We had better avoid speaking to them.' They could not very well avoid looking at them, however, especially as some obstruction on the pavement at a little distance happened to detain them where they were for a few moments. Miss Pecksniff had quite the air of having taken the unhappy model captive, and brought him up to the contemplation of the furniture like a lamb to the altar. He offered no resistance, but was perfectly resigned and quiet. The melancholy depicted in the turn of his languishing head and in his dejected attitude was extreme, and though there was a full-sized four-post bedstead in the window, such a tear stood trembling in his eye as seemed to blot it out. "Augustus, my love,' said Miss Pextiff, "'ask the price of the eight rosewood chairs and the loo-table.' "'Perhaps they are ordered already,' said Augustus. "'Perhaps they are another's.' They can make more like them, if they are," rejoined Miss Pecksniff. No, no, they can't," said Muddle. It's impossible. He appeared for the moment to be quite overwhelmed and stupefied by the prospect of his approaching happiness, but recovering, entered the shop. He returned immediately, saying in a tone of despair, Twenty-four pound ten. Miss Pecksniff, turning to receive this announcement, became conscious of the observation of Tom Pinch and his sister oh really cried miss pecksniff glancing about her as if for some convenient means of sinking into the earth upon my word i there never was such a to think that one should be so very Uh, mr augustus model miss pinch miss pecksniff was quite gracious to miss pinch in this triumphant introduction exceedingly gracious she was more than gracious she was kind and cordial whether the recollection of the old service tom had rendered her in knocking mr jonas on the head had wrought this change in her opinions or whether her separation from her parent had reconciled her to all humankind or to all that interesting portion of humankind which was not friendly to him or whether the delight of having some new female acquaintance to whom to communicate her interesting prospects was paramount to every other consideration cordial and kind miss pecksniff was and twice Miss Pecksniff kissed Miss Pinch upon the cheek. "'Augustus, Miss Pinch, you know, my dear girl,' said Miss Pecksniff aside, "'I never was so ashamed in my life. Ruth begged her not to think of it.' "'I mind your brother less than anybody else,' simpered Miss Pecksniff, "'but the indelicacy of meeting any gentleman under such circumstances—Augustus, my child, did you—' hear Miss Pecksniff whispered in his ear, the suffering model repeated—' twenty four pound ten. Oh, you silly man, I don't mean them, said Miss Pecksniff. I am speaking of the here she whispered him again. If it's the same patterned chintz as that of the window, thirty two twelve six, said Model, with a sigh, and very dear. Miss Pecksniff stopped him from giving any further explanation by laying her hand upon his lips and betraying a soft embarrassment. She then asked Tom Pinch which way he was going. "'I was going to see if I could find your sister,' answered Tom, "'to whom I wish to say a few words. We were going to Mrs. Todger's, where I had the pleasure of seeing her before.' "'It's no use of your going on, then,' said Cherry, "'for we have not long left there, and I know she is not at home. But I'll take you to my sister's house, if you please.' "'Augustus—Mr. Model, I mean—and myself—are on our way to tea there now. You needn't think of him,' she added, nodding her head as she observed some hesitation on Tom's part. He is not at home. "'Are you sure?' asked Tom. "'Oh, I am quite sure of that. I don't want any more revenge,' said Miss Pecksniff expressively. "'But really I must beg you two gentlemen to walk on and allow me to follow with Miss Pinch. My dear, I never was so taken by surprise.' In furtherance of this bashful arrangement, Moddle gave his arm to Tom, and Miss Pecksniff linked her own in Ruth's. Of course, my love, said Miss Pecksniff, it would be useful for me to disguise after what you have seen that I am about to be united to the gentleman who was walking with your brother. It would be in vain to conceal it. What do you think of him? Pray, let me have your candid opinion. Ruth intimated that as far as she could judge, he was a very eligible swain. I am curious to know, said Miss Peckstiff, with loquacious frankness, whether you have observed, or fancied in this very short space of time, that he is of a rather melancholy term.' "'So very short a time,' Ruth pleaded. "'No, no, but don't let that interfere with your answer,' returned Miss Pecksniff. I am curious to hear what you say.' Ruth acknowledged that he had impressed her at first sight as looking rather low. "'No, really,' said Miss Pecksniff well that is quite remarkable everybody says the same mrs todgers says the same and augustus informs me that it is quite a joke among the gentlemen in the house indeed but for the positive commands i have laid upon him i believe it would have been the occasion of loaded firearms being resorted to more than once what do you think is the cause of his appearance of depression ruth thought of several things such as his digestion his tailor his mother and the like but hesitating to give utterance to any one of them, she refrained from expressing an opinion. "'My dear,' said Miss Pecksniff, "'I shouldn't wish it to be known but i don't mind mentioning it to you having known your brother for so many years i refused augustus three times he is of a most amiable and sensitive nature always ready to shed tears if you look at him which is extremely charming and he has never recovered the effect of that cruelty for it was cruel said miss Pecksniff, with a self-conviction candour that might have adorned the diadem of her own papa there is no doubt of it i look back upon my conduct now with blushes I always liked him. I felt that he was not to me what the crowd of young men who had made proposals had been, but something very different. Then what right had I to refuse him three times?' "'It was a severe trial of his fidelity, no doubt,' said Ruth. "'My dear,' returned Miss Pecksniff, "'it was wrong, but such is the caprice and thoughtlessness of our sex. Let me be a warning to you. Don't try the feelings of any one who makes you an offer, as I have tried the feelings of Augustus.' "'But if you ever feel towards a person as I've really felt towards him at the very time when I was driving him to distraction, let that feeling find expression if that person throws himself at your feet as Augustus' model did at mine. "'Think,' said Miss Pecksniff, "'what my feelings would have been if I had goaded him to suicide and it had got into the papers.' Ruth observed that she would have been full of remorse, no doubt." "'Remorse!' cried Miss Pecksniff, in a sort of smug and comfortable penitence. "'What my remorse is at this moment, even after making reparation by accepting him, it would be impossible to tell you. Looking back upon my giddy self, my dear, now that I am sobered down and made thoughtful by treading on the very brink of matrimony, and contemplating myself as I was when I was like what you are now, I shudder, i shudder what is the consequence of my past conduct until augustus leads me to the altar he is not sure of me i have blighted and withered the affections of his heart to that extent that he is not sure of me i see that preying on his mind and feeding on his vitals what are the reproaches of my conscience when i see this in the man i love "'Ruth endeavoured to express some sense of her unbounded and flattering confidence, "'and presumed that she was going to be married soon. "'Very soon, indeed,' returned Miss Pecksniff. "'As soon as our house is ready. We are furnishing now as fast as we can.' In the same vein of confidence Miss Peckstiff ran through a general inventory of the articles that were already bought with the articles that remained to be purchased, what garment she intended to be married in, and where the ceremony was to be performed, and gave Miss Pinch, in short, as she told her, early and exclusive information on all points of interest connected with the event. While this was going forward in the rear, Tom and Mr. Model walked on, arm in arm, in the front, in a state of profound silence, which Tom at last broke after thinking for a long time what he could say that should refer to an indifferent topic, in respect of which he might rely with some degree of certainty on Mr. Model's bosom being unruffled. "'I wonder,' said Tom, "'that in these crowded streets the foot-passengers are not oftener run over.' Mr. Model, with a dark look, replied, "'The drivers won't do it.' "'Do you mean,' Tom began, "'that there are some men,' interrupted Model with a hollow laugh, "'who can't get run over. They live a charmed life. Coal wagons recoil from them, and even cabs refuse to run them down. "'Ah!' Uh, said Augustus, marking Tom's astonishment. "'There are such men. One of them is a friend of mine.' upon my word and honour thought tom this young gentleman is in a state of mind which is very serious indeed abandoning all idea of conversation he did not venture to say another word but he was careful to keep a tight hold upon augustus's arm lest he should fly into the road and making another and more successful attempt should get up a private little juggernaut before the eyes of his betrothed "'Tom was so afraid of his committing this rash act "'that he had scarcely ever experienced such mental relief "'as when they arrived in safety at Mrs. Jonas Chuzzlewit's house. "'Walk up, pray, Mr. Pinch,' said Miss Peckstiff, "'for Tom halted irresolutely at the door. "'I am doubtful whether I should be welcome,' replied Tom, "'or I ought rather to say I have no doubt about it. "'I will send up a message, I think.' but what nonsense that is returned miss pecksniff speaking apart to tom he is not at home i am certain i know he is not and mary hasn't the least idea that you ever know interrupted tom nor would i have her know it on any account i am not so proud of that scuffle i assure you "'Ah, but then you are so modest, you see,' returned Miss Pecksniff, with a smile. "'But pray walk up. If you don't wish her to know it, and do wish to speak to her, pray walk up, pray walk up, Miss Pinch. Don't stand here!' Tom still hesitated, for he felt that he was in an awkward position. But Cherry, passing him at this juncture, and leading his sister upstairs, and the house-door being at the same time shut behind them, he followed without quite knowing whether it was well or ill-judged to do so. "'Mary, my darling,' said the fair Miss Pecksniff, opening the door of the usual sitting-room, "'here are Mr. Pinch and his sister come to see you. I thought we should find you here, Mrs. Todgers. How do you do, Mrs. Gamp, and how do you do, Mr. Chuffey? though it's of no use asking you the question, I am well aware.' Honouring each of these parties, as she severally addressed them, with an acid smile, Miss Charity presented Mr. Model. "'I believe you have seen him before,' she pleasantly observed. "'Augustus, my sweet child, bring me a chair.' The sweet child did as he was told, and was then about to retire into a corner to mourn in secret when Miss Charity, calling him in an audible whisper a little pet, gave him leave to come and sit beside her. It is to be hoped for the general cheerfulness of mankind that such a doleful little pet was never seen as Mr. Model looked when he complied.' So despondent was his temper that he showed no outward thrill of ecstasy when Miss Peckstiff placed her lily hand in his and concealed this mark of her favour from the vulgar gaze by covering it with a corner of her shawl. Indeed, he was infinitely more rueful then than he had been before, and sitting uncomfortably upright in his chair, surveyed the company with watery eyes which seemed to say, without the aid of language, "Oh good gracious, look here! won't some kind Christian help me?" but the ecstasies of mrs gamp were sufficient to have furnished forth a score of young lovers and they were chiefly awakened by the sight of tom pinch and his sister mrs gamp was a lady of that happy temperament which can be ecstatic without any other stimulating cause than a general desire to establish a large and profitable connection she added daily so many strings to her bow that she made a perfect harp of it and upon that instrument she now began to perform an extemporaneous concerto why goodness me she said mrs chuzzlewit to think as i should see beneath this blessed house which i well know it miss Pecksniff, my sweet young lady to be a ouse as there is not a many like worse luck and wishing it were not so which then this tearful wally would be changed into a flowering guardian mr chuffey to think as i should see beneath this indiwiggled roof identically coming mr pinch i take the liberty though almost unbeknown and do assure you of it sir The smiliest and sweetest face as ever, Mrs. Chuzzlewit, I see, except in yourn, my dear good lady, and your good ladies too, sir, Mr. Bottle, if I may make so bold as speak so plain of what is plain enough to them as needn't look through millstones, Mrs. Todgers, to find out what is wrote upon the wall behind, which, no offence, is meant, ladies and gentlemen none being took i hope to think as i should see that smilingest and sweetest face which me and another friend of mine took notice of among the packages down london bridge in this promiscuous place is a surprise indeed having contrived in this happy manner to invest every member of her audience with an individual share and immediate personal interest in her address mrs gamp dropped several curtsies to ruth and smilingly shaking her head a great many times pursued the thread of her discourse now ain't we rich in beauty this here joyful afternoon i'm sure i knows a lady which her name i'll not deceive you mrs juzzlewit is harris her husband's brother being six foot three and marked with a mad bull in wellington boots upon his left arm on account of his precious mother having been warranted by one into his shoemaker's shop when in a situation which blessed is the man as has his quiver full of such as many times i've said to gamp when words has roged between us on account of the expense and often have i said to mrs harris oh mrs harris ma'am your countenance is quite a angel's which but for pimples it would be no serigam says she you best of hard-working and industrious creatures as ever was underpaid at any price which underpaid you are quite different harris had done it afore marriage at ten and six she says and wore it faithful next his heart till the colour run when the money was declined to be give back and no arrangements could be come to but he never said it was a angel sary whatever he might have thought "'If Mrs. Harris's husband was here now,' said Mrs. Gabb, looking round, and chuckling as she dropped a general curtsy, "'he'd speak out plain, he would, and his dear wife would be the last to blame him. For as ever a woman lived as know not what it was to form a wish to poison them as had good looks, and had no region gave her by the best of husbands, Mrs. Harris is that heavenly disposition.' with these words the worthy woman who appeared to have dropped in to take some tea as a delicate little attention rather than have any engagement on the premises in an official capacity crossed to mr chuffey who was seated in the same corner as of old and shook him by the shoulder round yourself and look up come said mrs camp here's company mr chuffey i am sorry for it cried the old man looking humbly round the room i know i'm in the way i ask pardon but i've nowhere else to go where is she mary went to him ah said the old man patting her on the cheek here she is here she is she's never hard on poor old juffy poor old As she took her seat upon a low chair by the old man's side, and put herself within reach of his hand, she looked up at once at Tom. It was a sad look that she cast upon him, though there was a faint smile trembling on her face. It was a speaking look, and Tom knew what it said. "'You see how misery has changed me, I can feel it for a dependent now and set some value on his attachment.' I, I cried Chuffy, in a soothing tone ay 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 never mind him it's hard to hear but never mind him he'll die one day there are three hundred and sixty-five days in the year three hundred and sixty-six in leap year "'And he may die on any one of them.' "'You're a wearing old soul, and that's the sacred truth,' said Mrs. Gamp, contemplating him from a little distance with anything but favour, as he continued to mutter to himself, "'It's a pity that you don't know what you say, for you'd tire your own patience out if you did and fret yourself into a happy relief for all as knows you.' "'His son!' murmured the old man lifting up his hand his son well i'm sure said mrs gamp you're a settlin of it mr chuffey "'To your satisfaction, sir, I hope, but I wouldn't lay a new pincushion on it myself, sir, though you are so well informed. Drat the old creetur! He's a-laying down the law tolerable confident, too—a deal he knows of sons or daughters, either. Suppose you was to favour us with some remarks on twins, sir? Would you be so good?' the bitter and indignant sarcasm which mrs gamp conveyed into these taunts was altogether lost on the unconscious chuffey who appeared to be as little cognizant of their delivery as of his having given mrs gamp offence But that high-minded woman, sensitively alive to any invasion of her professional province, and imagining that Chuffey had given utterance to some prediction on the subject of sons, which ought to have been emanated in the first instance from herself as the only lawful authority, or which should at least have been on no account proclaimed without her sanction and concurrence, was not so easily appeased, she continued to sidle at Mr. Chuffey with looks of sharp hostility, and to defy him with many other ironic, Remarks uttered in that low key, which commonly denotes suppressed indignation, until the entrance of the tea board and a request from Missus Jonas that she would make tea at a side table for the party that had unexpectedly assembled, restored her to herself. She smiled again and entered on her ministration with her own particular urbanity. And quite a family it is to make tea for," said Missus Gamp and what a happiness to do it my good young woman! to the servant-girl perhaps somebody would like to try a new-laid egg or two not mild too hard likewise a few rounds of buttered toast first cutting off the crust in consequence of tender teeth and not too many of em which gamp himself mrs chuzzlewit at one blow being in liquor struck out four two single and two double as was took by mrs harris for a keepsake and is carried in her pocket at this present hour along with two cramp bones a bit of ginger and a grater like a blessed infant's shoe in tin with a little heel to put the nutmeg in as many times i've seen and said and used for candle when required within the month as the privileges of the side-table besides including the small prerogatives of setting next the toast and taking two cups of tea to other people's one and always taking them at a crisis that is to say before putting fresh water into the teapot and after it had been standing for some time also comprehended a full view of the company and an opportunity of addressing them as from a rostrum mrs gamp discharged the functions entrusted to her with extreme good-humour and affability sometimes resting her saucer on the palm of her outspread hand and supporting her elbow on the table she stopped between her sips of tea to favour the circle with a smile a wink a roll of the head or some other mark of notice and at those periods her countenance was lighted up with a degree of intelligence and vivacity which it was almost impossible to separate from the benignant influence of distilled waters but for mrs gamp it would have been a curiously silent party Miss Pecksniff only spoke to her Augustus and to him in whispers. Augustus spoke to nobody but sighed for everyone, and occasionally gave himself such a sounding slap upon the forehead as would make Mrs. Todgers, who was rather nervous, start in her chair with an involuntary exclamation. Mrs. Todgers was occupied in knitting and seldom spoke poor mary held the hand of cheerful little ruth between her own and listening with evident pleasure to all she said but rarely speaking herself sometimes smiled and sometimes kissed her on the cheek and sometimes turned aside to hide the tears that trembled in her eyes Tom felt this change in her so much, and was so glad to see how tenderly Ruth dealt with her, and how she knew and answered to it, that he had not the heart to make any movement towards their departure, although he had long since given utterance to all he came to say. The old clerk, subsiding into his usual state, remained profoundly silent, while the rest of the little assembly were thus occupied, intent upon the dreams, whatever they might be, which hardly seemed to stir the surface of his sluggish thoughts the bent of these dull fancies combining properly with the silent feasting that was going on about him and some struggling recollection of the last approach to revelry he had witnessed suggested a strange question to his mind he looked round upon a sudden and said who's lying dead upstairs no one said barry turning to him what is the matter we are all here all here cried the old man. All here. Where is he, then? My old master, Mr. Chuzzlewit, who had the only son. Where is he? Hush, hush, said Mary, speaking kindly to him. That happened long ago. Don't you recollect? Recollect, rejoined the old man, with a cry of grief. As if I could forget as if i ever could forget he put his hand up to his face for a moment and then repeated turning round exactly as before who's lying dead upstairs no one said mary at first he gazed angrily upon her as upon a stranger who endeavoured to deceive him but peering into her face and seeing that it was indeed she She shook his head in sorrowful compassion. "'You think not, but they don't tell you. No, no, poor thing, they don't tell you. Who are these, and why are they merry-making here, if there is no one dead? Foul play. Go see who it is.' She made a sign to them not to speak to him, which indeed they had little inclination to do and remained silent herself so did he for a short time but then he repeated the same question with an eagerness that had a peculiar terror in it there's some one dead he said or dying and i want to knows who it is go see go see where's jonas in the country she replied The old man gazed at her as if he doubted what she said, or had not heard her, and rising from his chair walked about the room and upstairs, whispering as he went, FOUL PLAY. They heard his footsteps overhead, going up into that corner of the room in which the bed stood. It was there old Anthony had died, and then they heard him coming down again immediately. His fancy was not so strong or wild that it pictured to him anything in the deserted bedchamber which was not there, for he returned much calmer, and appeared to have satisfied himself. They don't tell you, he said to Mary in his quavering voice, as he sat down again and patted her upon the head. They don't tell me either, but I'll watch, I'll watch! They shall not hurt you don't be frightened With you have sat up watching i have sat up watching too i i i have he piped out clenching his weak shrivelled hand many a night i have been ready he said this with such trembling gaps and pauses in his want of breath and said it in his jealous secrecy so closely in her ear that little or nothing of it was understood by the visitors but they had heard and seen enough of the old man to be disquieted and to have left their seats and gathered about him thereby affording mrs gamp whose professional coolness was not so easily disturbed an eligible opportunity for concentrating the whole resources of her powerful mind and appetite upon the toast and butter tea and eggs she had brought them to bear upon those viands with such vigour that her face was in the highest state of inflammation when she now there being nothing left to eat or drink saw fit to interpose why heity-tighty sir cried mrs Kemp, is these your manners you want a pitcher of cold water thrown over you to bring you round that's my belief and if you was under betsy prig you'd have it too i do assure you mr chuffey spanish flies is the only thing to draw this nonsense out of you and if anybody wanted to do you a kindness they'd clap a blister of em on your head and put a muster poltage on your back who's dead indeed it wouldn't be no grievous loss if someone was i think he's quiet now mrs gamp said mary don't disturb him oh bother the old wictim mrs chuzzlewit replied that zealous lady i ain't no patience with him you give him his own way too much by half a worriton wexagest creature No doubt with the view of carrying out the precept she enforced, and bothering the old victim, in practice as well as in theory, Mrs. Gamp took him by the collar of his coat and gave him some dozen or two hearty shakes backward and forward in his chair, that exercise being considered by the disciples of the Prig School of Nursing, who are very numerous among professional ladies, as exceedingly conducive to repose, and highly beneficial to the performance of the nervous functions. Its effect, in this instance— was to render the patient so giddy and addle-headed that he could say nothing more which mrs gamp regarded as the triumph of her art there she said loosening the old man's cravat in consequence of his being rather black in the face after this scientific treatment now i hope you're easy in your mind if you should turn it all fate we can soon revive you sir i promise you bite a person's thumb or turn their fingers the wrong way said mrs gamp smiling with the consciousness of at once imparting pleasure and instruction to her auditors as they comes to wonderful lord bless you as this excellent woman had been formerly entrusted with the care of mr chuffey on a previous occasion neither mrs jonas nor anybody else had the resolution to interfere directly with her mode of treatment though all present tom pinch and his sister especially appeared to be disposed to differ from her views for such is the rash boldness of the uninitiated, that they will frequently set up some monstrous abstract principle, such as humanity, or tenderness, or the like idle folly, in obstinate defiance of all precedent and usage, and will even venture to maintain the same against the persons who have made the precedents and established the usage, and who must therefore be the best and most impartial judges of the subject. "'Ah, Mr. Pinch,' said Miss Peckstiff, it all comes of this unfortunate marriage if my sister had not been so precipitate and had not united herself to a wretch then there would have been no mr chuffey in the house hush said tom she'll hear you "'I should be very sorry if she did hear me, Mr. Pinch,' said Cherry, raising her voice a little, "'for it is not in my nature to add to the uneasiness of any person, far less of my own sister. I know what a sister's duties are, Mr. Pinch, and I hope I always showed it in my practice. Augustus, my dear child, find my pocket-handkerchief and give it to me.' Augustus obeyed, and took Mrs. Todgers aside to pour his griefs into her friendly bosom i am sure mr pinch said charity looking after her betrothed and glancing at her sister that i ought to be very grateful for the blessings i enjoy and those which are yet in store for me when i contrast augustus here she was modest and embarrassed whom I don't mind saying to you is all softness, mildness and devotion, with the detestable man who is my sister's husband, and when I think, Mr. Pinch, that in the dispensations of this world our cases might have been reversed, I have much to be thankful for indeed, and much to make me humble and contented. Contented she might have been, but humble she assuredly was not her face and manner experienced something so wildly different from humility that tom could not help understanding and despising the base motives that were working in her breast he turned away and said to ruth that it was time for them to go i will write to your husband said tom to mary and explain to him as i would have done if i had met him here that if he has sustained any inconvenience through my means It is not my fault, a postman not being more innocent of the news he brings, than I was when I handed him that letter. I thank you,' said Mary. "'It may do some good.' She parted tenderly from Ruth, who with her brother was in the act of leaving the room, when a key was heard in the lock of the door below, and immediately afterwards a quick footstep in the passage. Tom stopped and looked at Mary it was jonas she said timidly i had better not meet him on the stairs perhaps said tom drawing his sister's arm through his and coming back a step or two i'll wait for him here a moment he had scarcely said it when the door opened and jonas entered his wife came forward to receive him but he put her aside with his hand and said in a surly tone i didn't know you'd got a party as he looked at the same time, either by accident or design, towards Miss Pecksniff, and as Miss Pecksniff was only too delighted to quarrel with him, she instantly resented it. "'Oh, dear,' she said, rising, "'pray don't let us intrude upon your domestic happiness. That would be a pity. We have taken tea here, sir, in your absence, but if you will have the goodness to send us a note of the expense receipted, we shall be happy to pay it.' augustus my love we will go if you please mrs todgers unless you wish to remain here we shall be happy to take you with us it would be a pity indeed to spoil the bliss which this gentleman always brings with him especially into his own home charity charity remonstrated her sister in such a heartfelt tone that she might have been imploring her to show the cardinal virtue whose name she bore mary my dear i am much obliged to you for your advice returned miss pecksniff with a stately scorn By the way, she had not offered any. But I am not his slave.' "'No, nor wouldn't have been if you could,' interrupted Jonas. "'We know all about it.' "'What did you say, sir?' cried Miss Pecksniff sharply. "'Didn't you hear?' retorted Jonas, lounging down upon a chair. "'I'm not a-going to say it again. If you like to stay, you may stay. If you like to go, you may go. But if you stay, please to be civil.' "'Beast!' cried Miss Pecksniff, sweeping past him. "'Augustus, he's beneath your notice.' Augustus had been making some faint and sickly demonstrations of shaking his fist. "'Come away, child,' screamed Miss Pecksniff. "'I command you.' The scream was elicited from her by Augustus manifesting an intention to return and grapple with him. But Miss Pecksniff giving the fiery youth a pull, and Mrs. Todgers giving him a push, they all three tumbled out of the room together to the music of Miss Pecksniff's shrill remonstrances. All this time Jonas had seen nothing of Tom and his sister, for they were almost behind the door when he opened it, and he had sat down with his back towards them, and had purposely kept his eyes upon the opposite side of the street during his altercation with Miss Pecksniff, in order that his seeming carelessness might increase the exasperation of that wronged young damsel. His wife now faltered out that Tom had been waiting to see him, and Tom advanced. The instant he presented himself, Jonas got up from his chair and, swearing a great oath, caught it in his grasp as if he would have felled Tom to the ground with it, as he most unquestionably would have done, but that his very passion and surprise made him irresolute and gave Tom in his calmness an opportunity of being heard. "'You have no cause to be violent, sir,' said Tom. "'Though what I wish to say relates to your own affairs, I know nothing of them and desire to know nothing of them.' Jonas was too enraged to speak. He held the door open, and, stamping his foot upon the ground, motioned Tom away. "'As you cannot suppose,' said Tom, "'that I am here with any view of conciliating you or pleasing myself, I am quite indifferent to your reception of me or your dismissal of me. Hear what I have to say if you are not a bad man.' i gave you a letter the other day when you were about to go abroad you thief you did retorted jonas i'll pay you for the carriage of it one day and settle an old score besides i will tut tut said tom you needn't waste words or threats I wish you to understand, plainly, because I would rather keep clear of you and everything that concerns you, not because I have the least apprehension of your doing me any injury, which would be weak indeed, that I am no party to the contents of that letter, that I know nothing of it, that I was not even aware that it was to be delivered to you, and that I had it from——'By the Lord!' cried Jonas, fiercely catching up the chair. "'I'll knock your brains out if you speak another word.' tom nevertheless persisting in his intention and opening his lips to speak again jonas set upon him like a savage and in the quickness and ferocity of his attack would have surely done him some grievous injury defenceless as he was and embarrassed by having his frightened sister clinging to his arm if mary had not run between them crying to tom for the love of heaven to leave the house The agony of this poor creature, the terror of his sister, the impossibility of making himself audible, and the equal impossibility of bearing up against Mrs. Gamp, who threw herself upon him like a feather bed, and forced him backwards down the stairs by the mere oppression of her dead weight prevailed. Tom shook the dust of that house off his feet, without having mentioned Nadgett's name. If the name could have passed his lips— if jonas in the insolence of his vile nature had never roused him to do that old act of manliness for which and not for his last offence he hated him with such malignity if jonas could have learned as then he could and would have learned through tom's means what unsuspected spy there was upon him he would have been saved from the commission of a guilty deed then drawing on towards its bleak accomplishment but the fatality was of his own working, the pit was of his own digging, the gloom that gathered round him was the shadow of his own life. His wife had closed the door, and thrown herself before it on the ground upon her knees. She held up her hands to him now, and besought him not to be harsh with her, for she had interposed in fear of bloodshed. "'So, so,' said Jonas, looking down upon her as he fetched his breath. "'These are your friends, are they, when I'm away?' You plot and tamper with this sort of people, do you? No, indeed. I have no knowledge of these secrets, and no clue to their meaning. I have never seen them since I left home but once, but twice before to-day. Oh! sneered Jonas, catching at this correction. But once, but twice, eh? Which do you mean? Twice and once, perhaps? Three times? How many more, you lying jade? As he made an angry motion with his hand, she shrunk down hastily, a suggestive action, full of a cruel truth. "'How many more times?' he repeated. "'No more. The other morning and to-day and once besides.' He was about to retort upon her when the clock struck. He started, stopped, and listened, appearing to revert to some engagement or to some other subject a secret within his own breast recalled to him by this record of the progress of the hours. "'Don't lie there. Get up!' Having helped her to rise, or rather hauled him up by the arm, he went on to say— "'Listen to me, young lady, and don't whine when you have no occasion, or I may make some for you. If I find him in my house again, or find that you have seen him in anybody else's house, you'll repent it. If you are not deafened down to everything that concerns me, unless you have my leave to hear and speak, you'll repent it. If you don't obey exactly what I order, you'll repent it. Now attend, what's the time?' "'It struck eight a minute ago.' He looked towards her intently, and said with a laboured distinctness, as if he had got the words off by heart, "'I've been travelling day and night, and am tired. I have lost some money, and that don't improve me. Put my supper in the little off-room below, and have the truckle-bed made. I shall sleep there to-night, and maybe to-morrow night, and if I can sleep all day to-morrow so much the better, for I've got trouble to sleep off if I can.' Keep the house quiet and don't call me, mind! Don't call me! Don't let anybody call me! Let me lie there! She said it should be done. Was that all? All what? You must be prying and questioning!' he angrily retorted. "'What more do you want to know?' "'I want to know nothing, Jonas, but what you tell me. All hope of confidence between us has long deserted me.' He caught. I should hope so,' he muttered. "'But if you will tell me what you wish, I will be obedient and will try to please you.' I make no merit for that, for I have no friend in my father or my sister, but I'm quite alone. I'm very humble and submissive. You told me you would break my spirit, and you have done so. Do not break my heart, too." She ventured, as she said these words, to lay her hand upon his shoulder. He suffered it to rest there in his exultation, and the whole mean, abject, sordid, pitiful soul of the man looked at her, for the moment, through his wicked eyes. For the moment only for with the same hurried return to something within himself he bade her in a surly tone show her obedience by executing his commands without delay. When she had withdrawn, he paced up and down the room several times, but always with his right hand clenched as if it held something, which it did not, being empty. When he was tired of this, he threw himself into a chair and thoughtfully turned up the sleeve of his right arm, as if he were rather musing about it straight than examining it, but even then he kept his hand clenched he was brooding in this chair with his eyes cast down upon the ground when mrs gamp came in to tell him that the little room was ready not being quite sure of her reception after interfering in the quarrel mrs gamp as a means of interesting and propitiating her patron affected a deep solicitude in mr chuffey how is he now sir she said who cried jonas raising his head and staring at her to be sure returned the matron with a smile and a curtsy. what am i thinking of you wasn't here sir when he took so strange i never see a poor dear creature took so strange in all my life except a patient much about the same age as i once nursed which his calling was the us, and his name was mrs harris's own father as pleasant a singer mr Chuzzlewit, as ever you heard with a voice like a jew's harp in the bass notes that it took six men to hold at such times foaming frightful chuffy eh said jonas carelessly seeing that she went up to the old clerk and looked at him ah the creature's head so hot said mrs Gabb that you might heat a flat-iron at it and no wonder i am sure considering the things he's said said cried jonas what did he say mrs gamp laid her hand upon her heart to put some check upon its palpitations and turning up her eyes replied in a faint voice "'The awfulest things, Mr. Chuzzlewit, as ever I heard. "'Which Mrs. Harris's father never spoke word when took so. "'Some does, and some don't, except saying when he come round, "'Where is Sary Gamp? "'But really, sir, when Mr. Chuffy comes to ask "'who's lying dead upstairs, and—' "'Who's lying dead upstairs?' repeated Jonas, standing aghast. "'Mrs. Gamp nodded, made as if she were swallowing, and went on who's lying dead upstairs such was his bible language and where was mr chuzzlewit as had the only son and when he goes upstairs a-looking in the beds and wandering about the rooms and comes down again a whispering softly to hisself about foul play and that it gives me such a turn i don't deny it mr chuzzlewit that i never could have kept myself up but for a little drain of spirits which i seldom touches but could always wish to know where to find if so disposed never knowing what may happen next the world being so uncertain why the old fool's mad cried jonas much disturbed that's my opinion sir said mrs gamp and i will not deceive you i believe as mr chuffey sir requires attention if i may make so bold and should not have his liberty to wex and worry your sweet lady as he does why who minds what he says retorted jonas still he is worried, sir said mrs camp no one don't mind him but he is our ill conwenience he could you're right said jonas looking doubtfully at the subject of this conversation i have half a mind to shut him up mrs gamp rubbed her hands and smiled and shook her head and sniffed expressively as setting a job could you could you take care of such an idiot now in some spare room upstairs asked jonas "'Me and a friend of mine, one off, one on, could do it, Mr. Chuzzlewit,' replied the nurse. "'Our charges not being high, but wishin' they was lower, and allowance make considerin' not strangers. "'Me and Betsy Prig, sir, would undertake Mr. Chuffy reasonable,' said Mrs. Gamp, looking at him with her head on one side, as if he had been a piece of goods for which she was driving a bargain, "'and give every satisfaction. Betsy Prig has nursed many lunacies, and where—' she knows their ways which putting em right close afore the fire when fractious is the certainest and most composing while mrs gamp discoursed to this effect jonas was walking up and down the room again glancing covertly at the old clerk as he did so he now made a stop and said i must look after em i suppose or i may have him doing some mischief what say you "'Nothing more likely,' Mrs. Gamp replied. "'As well I have experienced, I do assure you, sir. "'Well, look after him for the present, and—let me see. 3 days from this time let the other woman come here, "'and we'll see if we can make a bargain of it. "'About nine or ten o'clock at night, say. "'Keep your eye upon him in the meanwhile, and don't talk about it. "'He's as mad as a march hare. "'Madder!' cried Mrs. Gamp. "'A deal madder! "'See to him, then. Take care that he does no harm.' and recollect what i have told you leaving mrs gamp in the act of repeating all she had been told and of producing in support of her memory and trustworthiness many commendations selected from among the most remarkable opinions of the celebrated mrs harris he descended to the little room prepared for him and pulling off his coat and his boots put them outside the door before he locked it In locking it, he was careful so to adjust the key as to baffle any curious person who might try to peep in through the keyhole, and when he had taken these precautions, he sat down to his supper. "'Mr. Chuff,' he muttered, "'it'll be pretty easy to be even with you. No use doing things by halves, and as long as I stop here I'll take good care of you.' When I'm off, you may say what you please, but it's a damn strange thing, he added, pushing away his untouched plate, and striding moodily to and fro, that his driveling should have taken this turn just now. After pacing the little room from end to end several times, he sat down in another chair. I say just now, but for anything I know, he may have been carrying on the same game all along. Old dog, he shall be gagged. He paced the room, again, in the same restless and unsteady way, and then sat down upon the bedstead, leaning his chin upon his hand and looking at the table. When he had looked at it for a long time he remembered his supper, and, resuming the chair he had first occupied, began to eat with such rapacity, not like a hungry man, but as he were determined to do it. He drank, too, roundly, sometimes stopping in the middle of a draught to walk, and change his seat and walk again, and dart back to the table and fall to, in a ravenous hurry as before. It was now growing dark. As the gloom of evening deepening into night came on, another dark shade emerging from within him seemed to overspread his face, and slowly changed it, slowly, slowly, darker and darker, more and more haggard, creeping over him by little and little, until it was black night within him and without. The room in which he had shut himself up was on the ground floor at the back of the house. It was lighted by a dirty skylight, and had a door on the wall, opening into a narrow-covered passage or blind alley, very little frequented after five or six o'clock in the evening, and not in much use as a thoroughfare at any hour, but it had an outlet in a neighbouring street. The ground on which this chamber stood had at one time not within his recollection been a yard, and had been converted to its present purpose for use as an office, but the occasion for it died with the man who built it, and saving that it had sometimes served as an apology for a spare bedroom, and that the old clerk had once held it, but that was years ago, as his recognized apartment, it had been little troubled by Anthony Chuzzlewit and son it was a blotch stained mouldering room like a vault and there were water pipes running through it which at unexpected times in the night when other things were quiet clicked and gurgled suddenly as if they were choking The door into the court had not been opened for a long, long time, but the key had always hung in one place, and there it hung now. He was prepared for its being rusty, for he had a little bottle of oil in his pocket, and the feather of a pen, with which he lubricated the key and the lock, too, carefully. All this while he had been without his coat, and had nothing on his feet but his stockings. He now got softly into bed in the same state, and tossed from side to side to tumble it. In his restless condition that was easily done." When he arose he took from his portmanteau which he had caused to be carried into that place when he came home a pair of clumsy shoes and put them on his feet also a pair of leather leggings such as countrymen are used to wear with straps to fasten to the waistband in these he dressed himself at leisure lastly he took out a common frock of coarse dark jean which he drew over his underclothing and a felt hat he had purposely left his own upstairs He then sat himself down by the door, with the key in his hand, waiting. He had no light. The time was dreary, long, and awful. The ringers were practising in a neighbouring church, and the clashing of the bells was almost maddening. Curse the clamouring bells! They seemed to know that he was listening at the door, and to proclaim it in a crowd of voices to all the town. Would they never be still! They ceased at last and then the silence was so new and terrible that it seemed the prelude to some dreadful noise. Footsteps in the court. Two men. He fell back from the door on tiptoe, as if they could have seen him through its wooden panels. They passed on, talking, he could make out, about a skeleton which had been dug up yesterday in some work of excavation near at hand, and was supposed to be that of a murdered man. "'So murder is not always found out, you see,' they said to one another as they turned the corner. "'Hush!' He put the key into the lock and turned it. The door resisted for a while, but soon came stiffly open, mingling with the sense of fever in his mouth, a taste of rust and dust and earth and rotting wood. He looked out, passed out, locked it after him. All was clear and quiet as he fled away. End of chapter 46